0: Welcome back to We Need to Talk with Dr. Darcy Sterling. I'm Darcy Sterling. And I'm Ashton Tardif. Hi,
1: Ashton. Hi. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm, you know, really excited to talk about today's topic because I think it is something that a lot of people will align with, myself included, and that is how to have a fight. It's such an interesting topic because most people come to me
0: In one of two camps, either really proud that they've never had a fight with their partner, thinking that that's a gold star status of theirs, or avoiding fights. And Mm -hmm. by way of avoiding fights, avoiding real conversations and the serious conversations that have to happen in relationships. So I'm excited as well. I really want to demystify and normalize the whole process of why avoiding having fights is a futile exercise. And how that leads to problems. It leads to the actual conflict that people are trying to avoid because it's impossible for us to be in a relationship
1: and not disagree. Yeah. And I think the word fight in general just has such a negative connotation because I feel most of us have been raised to do our best To avoid them, not how to handle them properly or execute them properly. I want to actually open up this conversation about fights because I didn't even realize that the absence of fights were a problem until after my very first relationship. Where I remember you had asked me about a year and a half into that one, do you guys ever fight or when was your last fight? And I was stumped. I quite literally could not think of a recent fight or really a fight. There had been minor disagreements, maybe some discomfort, but most of that had been ironed out, probably because of me trying to be the peacekeeper that I am and just Mm -hmm. trying to steamroll it and just being like, nope, we're good. We can get through this or I can get through this without talking about it. Um, well,
0: That's just it. That's what happens is one or both of you winds up muting your needs and eventually that stuff piles up and it comes out sideways when we don't expect it and not in a way that we're necessarily proud of, you know, in a
1: way that leaves a mess to clean up later. Yeah, like the, the, the emotional vomit that ensues. Mm-hmm. That happens for me a lot. Um, I will keep, I will brush small things under the rug, keep brushing, that's fine. And then all of a sudden the dust closet of all of the things I've been brushing aside is is bursting at the seams and it's just, you know, a waterfall of, of issues when really the main issue has been one that's just been building. You wind up flooding your partner with Mm -hmm. information
0: And they become so overwhelmed by the garden hose that's coming at them that they have such difficulty staying present and using their mindful skills, presuming they have any, to have a productive conversation with you. And that's how it becomes a fight. So Mm -hmm. to be clear, we don't have to fight. But we do have to know how to negotiate difficult conversations and conflict because those things are endemic. They are part of every relationship, whether it's your familial relationships, your intimate relationships, your professional relationships. If you're close to people who you, and even if you're, I mean, I was just going to make the argument that if you're close to people who you weren't raised as a twin with, but I would argue that even siblings have difficulty negotiating differences, because having the exact same childhood experience doesn't mean that you're going to have identical viewpoints, as you well know, or identical opinions or needs. Everybody comes out of the womb having different needs, and you have to be able to articulate your needs. And so often, partly because of the media and how we're all socialized, we walk, walk the planet expecting that the right partner is going to be someone who intuitively understands our needs, and we won't have Mm -hmm. to articulate them. And when that doesn't happen, and they don't pick up on our hints, then our needs start coming out sarcastically, passive-aggressively, or through resentment. There are so many consequences to not being able to
1: articulate your feelings and thoughts. So, Yeah. 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 I am so guilty of this in my romantic relationships and it is difficult because you expect, like you said, you expect the person that you're with to pick up on your emotions, your feelings, your little drops of insinuation. Mm -hmm. Maybe because I, as a person, am so attuned to my partner that I like to think that I know when something's wrong. And I'm like, why can't they do that for me? But that is completely unfair to project onto your partner, which you were very quick to um, school me on uh, when I first started seriously dating. Um, But But to that point, Ashton, if, and if you do have that ability
0: to read a room and read your partner so well that you can intuit their needs before they articulate them, you rob them of a growth opportunity. It is important Mm -hmm. that your partner knows what their needs are and has to articulate them because being able to communicate in relationships is a skill that we need practice
1: building. Oh, oh, and and I hate that you're right because you are. And I was so frustrated when I would identify my partner's feeling for them and they would be kind of taken aback, like, well, I don't know, maybe just give me a minute. And they hadn't quite processed their emotions. I had almost like skipped ahead for them. And Mm -hmm. as super powerful as that made me feel and in control, I guess, because I was able to suss out the situation, they weren't ready. And I was trying to fill my need of making them feel better. So I felt better versus them actually like come to terms with what they were upset about. And yeah, that is 1000% something that I need to work on. I'm sure other people can identify with that. But the whole notion, by the way, that disagreements
0: are a red flag in relationships. I just want to demystify. I want to start by demystifying that disagreements have to happen in relationships because we are not going to be our partner's identical twin with identical needs. By the fact that we're different humans, we are going to have points where we have to express ourselves and we have to articulate mm-hmm. a need and knowing how to do that in a loving understanding and respectful way is one of the most important aspects of being in a healthy relationship. So Mm -hmm. when people come out of the honeymoon stage, which is the first stage of relationship, and then they hit that second stage, which Steph and I, my wife and I, also a therapist, have coined organic love. And we call it organic love because people are in love. It's very organic. They haven't necessarily developed relationship skills. And that is the stage, that second stage, two out of three, that's the stage in which you either develop the skills to get out of that stage and and into the next stage, or more often than not, the relationship ends in that second stage. Most relationships Mm -hmm. live and die in that second stage and never advance to the third stage. The bickering and disagreeing is very, very normal because you know how when you're a teenager, you start to develop your own interests and you need to express your own identity within the family unit. And part of being a teenager is successfully doing that. And in a way you're testing your family members love for you. Like you're not consciously oh. testing, yeah. but there's 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 a subtext of If I'm truly loved, they will accept me even though I'm different from them. And successful progression out of adolescence involves the family members negotiating their must-haves with the teenager and the teenager finding a way to be her own unique self within the family system and individuating. That is what happens in relationships in that second stage. So in the first stage, just a reminder, in the first stage of relationship, the honeymoon stage, our brains are secreting these neurochemicals that cause us to essentially be high. There is nothing about yeah. like that first stage. You're obsessing about the person. It starts off at a crush, then it goes into infatuation. And if we're successful in that first stage, we get into the second stage. And then each of us start Having a need now that we've created safety, security, and trust a fabric in the relationship, we each start trying to carve out our own unique identity within the relationship. And that is where the bickering starts. And it is completely normal, it is completely healthy. The goal of that second stage is to learn relationship skills so you can get out of it into the third stage, which is the promised land called mindful love. But what we're going to be talking about mostly today is that second stage of relationship because people start bickering or suddenly their partner's like, hey, I want a guy's night out or I want a girl's night out or want to start going back to this hobby that I used to do before we were together or whatever individual interests each of you had. Suddenly, you each kind of want to do those again. And that is completely normal And also, maybe you start leaning into more serious topics where differences of opinion are going to be more obvious. A lot of people wait until the second stage to identify their partner's political interests, religious must-haves, what are their, like, bucket list must-haves. And... Those are the kinds of things that you need a lot of trust, or most people crave trust in order to have those conversations. Most of us intuitively sense that once their partner has more skin in the game, they're going to be more receptive to differences, even mm-hmm. like even if we're, we're different. And when those disagreements start, people are like, oh boy, this is not good. And I'm like, no, no, the path out of this is through this. This is not a red flag. Now, the way you disagree could be a red flag.
1: Is there a certain time when you're out of the honeymoon stage, we're in the second phase, we're having these normal, quote unquote, healthy disagreements. But at what point is it maybe not? At what point maybe is it not the way we're communicating through the disagreements, but we're just like, whoa, like either A, this person is like not who I thought they were, or these disagreements are not fixable, like in terms of the frequency, the volatility, could be like the level of violence aggressiveness in it is there like a barometer for understanding this is a problem with the person or the problem with how we're handling it it's a problem with how we're handling it until the technique gets perfected
0: or one person puts their hands on another or does something Mm. in anger um so i think what you're asking me is in the second stage of relationship is there a point at which the way you disagree becomes problematic and that in and of itself is a red flag? Is that what
1: you're asking? Yeah. Yeah, That, or maybe just like you realize in that second stage when shit gets, starts to get real, that maybe you're not compatible with this person.
0: Well, you need to be able to both disagree without being douchebags. How do you disagree without being disagreeable? The first step is you need to know yourself and your needs so that you can articulate them and i encourage people to articulate their needs often and when they're small so that the person doesn't get fire hosed with them we don't want what does that mean fighting, what is kind that of like mean? what you were just just dis- so in other words like if it's annoying to you that i show up three minutes late for filming every week what i would want is for you to tell me that i would want you to tell me hey darcy it would mean a lot to me if you could be on a few minutes early so that I'm not sitting there waiting for you, anxious myself or getting worried myself that maybe something is wrong or you're we're not going to have enough time to cover the topic that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Expressing your needs in small doses, it's so much easier for people to hear a small request than it is for them to handle an entire laundry list of objections or things right. that their partner finds finds hurtful. So first and foremost, we need to know what we want and we need to pay attention to our needs and our hurts so that we're able to address them in small amounts and not
1: wait for an entire huge pile up. So when is it important to bring up these small things that bother us? By and large, I encourage people not to bring them up in the moment
0: because they might be escalated and their partner might not be ready to, I don't want to say bear witness, but to be on the receiving end of their needs. We call that ambushing. So in the moment, well, we all know this, you don't argue or debate with somebody drunk and you don't Mm -hmm. argue well, and I'm telling you this we, to, we know you know this, put it in, we it. put it in put it in your back pocket because it's not oh, productive. Boy. You're not like what version yeah. of the person are you even are you even engaging with? So there's that. And then for you know, related to that, you don't want to be having a disagreement when you're both one or both of you is heated. I want people to be completely de-escalated. And in order for that to happen, the partner needs to be able to weigh in on whether or not it's a good time for them. So you say to the person in a quiet moment, not we need to talk, because we know we picked, <laughs> the, we picked the title of the of the podcast intend, intending to connote the cringe that we all feel when somebody mm-hmm. says to us we need to talk. We you you say to your partner, I would like to have a conversation with you about X, Y, Z. Can you tell me when it would be a good time to have this conversation?
1: Oh, why, I, why did that make you cringe? Oh, because as someone who is a chronic overthinker and who has anxiety, that sends shockwaves down my spinal cord. If someone sends me that, because I my mind is running into a million different places. What did I do? Was it this? Was it that? Maybe was it this? Like, I know a lot of people who feel this way too. Um, is there an alternative way to, ha- to to bring that up without sending people into a panic attack, like wording-wise?
0: Well, not everyone is going to have a panic attack. What a lot of people are going to say is, let's just do it now. But at least they're yeah. consenting. That's the difference. You just want to give the person an opportunity to vote yes or no. Personally, I would rather manage my own internal panic attack than engage in a serious conversation If I've had a glass of wine. If it's at the end of the day and I'm feeling depleted or if I'm just in a mood, I would I know myself well enough to know that I need to be grounded and regulated myself to have a conversation that's serious. And I would much rather be given the option of selecting a time that is that I know I'm going to be at least rested and fed. And so So you won't be overthinking
1: it. I will.
0: No, of course I will. But (laughs) I'm doing a a cost analysis in my head. And and if I try to show up for you and I'm exhausted because I've just had eight hours of like hard clinical work and I've just put my all into that and I don't feel like I have hardly anything left in the tank, then I'm going to say to you, no, Ashton, because you deserve that I show up right for you. I know what it looks like when I try to do things, when I try to be a martyr and do it right away to meet the other person's needs, or if I try to do it right away because I have an inability to sit with discomfort, it doesn't go well. I have to be grounded. But what a lot of people will say is, I'm ready to do it now. And then at least you have consent. So what do you do next? But I want it to be clear that you've given the person The subject that you want to discuss with them in the Mm -hmm. request because you've been thinking about it for days, hours, weeks, months, or years. The other person deserves a minute to process that subject so that Mm -hmm. they can somewhat prepare themselves, you know? And then the next thing I say, if the person's ready to have the conversation, I immediately want to put you at ease. And I want to say, So I want to have this conversation with you because I love you. And This is not a big deal at this moment, Mm -hmm. but i but I know that if I ignore it, it can become a big deal. So my goal of this conversation is for me to just express myself. If you're able to hear me and maybe find something about what I'm saying, that sounds reasonable. If you can validate my feelings and I'll teach you how to do that, that would mean the world to me. But I want you to know at the very end, my goal is for us to be better. I'm not trying to win here that mm-hmm. does so much to disarmor the poor person that is on the receiving end of the request because they can breathe and then they're not as they're not as armored up and braced for god only knows what is coming mm-hmm. at
1: them so i have a que- a follow-up question here because i know for a lot of couples that have fights for the most part it's not maybe a small thing, especially if you've been together for a longer time. Let's say you get into a heated fight, like it is happening. There is no, like, I don't wanna talk about this later. It's happening right now. Does that then mean one person needs to remove themselves and step aside and revisit later? Or does, cause some people just can't stop. Like you are, you're triggered, they're triggered. Words are coming out. What does this mean for something that's happening in the moment, hot and heavy? You
0: can be triggered and still be disciplined about it. And I need you and everybody else to hear that. Mm-hmm. We can be triggered we, and yeah. we must employ self-discipline because what I want you to know is that relationships are fragile. And mm-hmm. we don't necessarily know, especially early on, what somebody's bottom lines are, how bad a fight can get, and it still mm-hmm. be resilient and repairable. So I want people to... Approach conversations like this, especially if you find yourselves escalating. I immediately want you to stop. So, in the brain, there are different regions of the brain. If you guys are getting escalated, like words are flying, I'm telling you right now, you're in your amygdala. This in the center of your brain is the oldest part of your brain. It's called your amygdala. That's where your fight, flight, or freeze response is located. That is the part of your brain that gets activated when you're upset when you're heated. This part of your brain cannot contemplate the consequences of your actions. It only knows how to do one thing, and it's keep you alive. It makes one of three choices. Do I want to fight you? Do I want to retreat? Or do I want to play dead and freeze and go invisible? It's actually really sad. Um, it sounds <laughs> that it. Last it part. sounds it. Yeah, that last yeah. part makes me really sad because it's really bad for you. Um mm. Being in your amygdala, by the way, over an emotional disagreement, that's not great for you either. That's not great for either person's nervous systems because your amygdala thinks that it is keeping you alive by being activated over this emotional thing that's not actually life-threatening. You're never going to be able to think your way through when you're heated because you're not in your right mind. You've heard that word before. What I want... I want you to be in your prefrontal cortex, which is the front part of your brain. The It's like in your forehead region of your brain. And the reason I want you to be there is because that is where your ability to be mindful rests. I want that part of your brain activated. Now, those two parts of your brain are almost never activated at the same time. If they are, it's usually a therapist doing it intentionally through EMDR. They're almost never activated at the same time. So, as your amygdala gets lit up, your prefrontal cortex comes offline. As your prefrontal cortex gets lit up, your amygdala comes offline. When you are heated, it means you're in your amygdala or on your way there. And that is not a time to have a productive conversation. It's literally that simple, Ashton. Like, I don't want you having disagreements when you're in your amygdala. So, As you or your partner notice that you're starting to get activated, when you notice that, and I'm going to teach you how to notice that in two seconds, I want you to hit pause because you're not going to have the conversation that is going to result in you guys being closer at the end, which is what an artfully composed disagreement results in. You should be closer at the end of it. You should feel better bonded and tighter. Why? Because you've just made it through a very difficult exercise. You've just made, and and each of you know each other a little bit better because of it. And the fact that you've made it through creates safety. So these people who come to mostly Steph, because she's a couples counselor, these clients who come to Steph and they're really proud that they've never had a disagreement, but they want couples counseling. That's not an oxymoron. That's actually, both of those things make a lot of sense together. The way a therapist makes sense of that is this is an insecure relationship. It's an insecure attachment Mm -hmm. on one or both people's end because they're tiptoeing around. It's impossible to never have a disagreement. It's impossible to never have a disagreement. It's just impossible. Mm -hmm. And so if there's never a disagreement, It is because you've got two people walking on eggshells around each other, trying not to trigger each other. And the result of that is a relationship, the fabric of which is threadbare because it's never been tested. You want to test the fabric, and it's almost as if a piece of fabric was getting wet. As it dries, it gets tighter. As we resolve disagreements and conflict, we get tighter. So how do you know when you're getting escalated? Think of a scale ranging from zero to 10. This is all about measuring your emotional escalation. This is not a full spectrum. This is just negatives. So at zero, far left, you're not feeling any distress or escalation. And far right at the 10, that's the most escalation you can imagine feeling. I want disagreements to happen between zero, one, and two. Okay. That's a very, very concrete cutoff point because most people, average people with average emotional discipline will not be able to control themselves over a two. Once they're at a three to five, they're making their way into their amygdala as they go further to the right. So The way you can practice this is you can set an alarm three times a day. It can be the same time every day. It doesn't even matter. Like do it before work, after work, and then pick a random time in the middle of work. And every time that alarm goes off, ask yourself, where am I on the emotional discomfort scale, the emotional escalation scale? Maybe you're at zero. or I want you to notice as you're creeping up it because here's what happens, Ashton. Most people only notice when they're losing their shit. They notice mm. when they're fine and they know when they, when steam is coming out of their ears, but they can't feel it building. Your superpower is noticing as it goes up. And I want you to notice as it goes up. So what happens if you're at a three or above, you literally have to step away. You literally have to step away. The good news is there's always a bathroom break that's acceptable. So what you do is you say to your partner, I want to hear what you're saying I have to go to the bathroom. Hold that thought. I will be right back. Let me tell you you're doing oh such you're doing such a blessing on your relationship by stepping away at that moment. You're doing such a good thing for your relationship. Now, hold on. What I want you to know is that this is not your mother's time out, and I don't mean your mother's time out cuz, you know, she's my sister. I'm afraid of her. I'm not saying anything negative about her. I mean everyone's mother. This is not like an old school uh, take a time out the way most professionals will say, oh, well, you have to take a time out. What does that mean? That doesn't mean step away and do nothing and then come back and pick up where you left off, which is what most people will do without having a protocol to follow. I want you to go mm-hmm. to the bathroom. I want you to run ice cold water on your wrists. I want you to feel the ice cold and I want it to be a little uncomfortable. I like want a reset. to it Yes, I want you to feel it. And then what I want you to do is I either want you to do wall push-ups or wall squats or a wall. Oh, that's sit. not happening. You no, know, but, for but me. here's the Just thing. Kidding. But Ashton, but here's the thing. The reason I ask you to do that is because the fastest way to change your mood is to change your physiology. The fastest way. And the first thing I have to do is de-escalate you. Once you're below a zero i'm sorry once you're below a three you can be a two one or a zero before you go back out i want you to so basically when you're in the bathroom and i say i want you to do wall squats or wall push-ups i want you to do that until you're out of breath now i work i work with i've worked with professional athletes who have done this this can be scaled up so that anyone can be out of breath In a minute or two, it'll just take a few for me. Um, I mean, it'll probably take seconds for you, right? Because you're not somebody like who's a big worker out. I had no disrespect to you, that's not your jam,
1: not that type of working out. No,
0: but for people who think that they're in great shape and that this is going to be impossible to do in a bathroom, I've had professional football players do this, and they have assured me, as has Danielle, who is my daughter and an Olympic weightlifter, has assured me there's a way of scaling this up so everyone can be depleted or feel fatigued within a couple of minutes once you feel out of breath i want you to take your emotional temperature again where am i on the emotional spectrum scale if you're under a three then before you walk back out ask yourself where did we leave off with this Mm. okay when i come back how can i address it differently because i've got news for you the way you addressed it or the way they responded to it is the reason you guys got escalated You cannot have a conversation that is not going to result in a fight. And I'm kind of with you. We shouldn't be fighting. We should be disagreeing. We should be disagreeing Mm. and resolving things together. And you can't do that if you're escalated, if steam's coming out of your ears, if you're seeing red. It's impossible to do. You're asking your brain to do something that it is not, it's neurologically not equipped to do. It's impossible. So I want to set you up
1: for success,
0: right?
1: Right. I um I have a question here just from experience. Um my last partner was very avoidant. And I did my best to always set the stage and you know, like, hey, my goal here is not to fight, it is to fix this. Um, and when I would start to broach the topic, this partner would get very defensive, even when I my voice was level, the conversation was nowhere near inflammatory yet, but he could sense that it was going somewhere uncomfortable and he would literally pull away from me, like physically, like inching towards the door. Like, I I think I I need some space. And meanwhile, I had not even gotten to the crux of my, (laughs) my issue. I was like, Oh, you're scared now. You're making me about to get scarier with this avoidance shit because I have abandonment issues, whatever that to me then triggers me. It shows me my partner is wanting to escape and wanting to leave when I'm not even in my full like fight mode. What, what does that mean? Does that mean that my partner is being actually very avoidant, or that I need to let them do what they're doing and needing space before we've even gotten into it? What you're talking about could mean that the person felt ambushed. They
0: weren't mentally prepared for it. Again, I understand that we can't, it's not always going to work this way. I'm telling you that if you want to set yourself up for success, give the person a heads up, especially if they're a little bit avoidant or a lot bit avoidant. Just let them know. I would like to talk about this. Now, for people who are in a relationship with somebody who's avoidant, I have a tool. I like, actually, I suggest that everyone do this and I do this with Steph. We have a weekly relationship meeting. I know. I know. Super (laughs) day. I get it. But you know what? But, But it's also like, it's such an important hour in my relationship because that's the hour that we both come together. There's structure to how we come together. We do certain exercises at the top that make us feel really loved and supported and held by the other, not physically, but emotionally. And then the same at the bottom. So it's bookended with good stuff that strengthens the relationship, and then in between, there's room for an agenda item. Now, the importance of the relationship meeting is that you you begin to train the two of you that serious conversations are safe, that it's okay to have a conversation, and over time, both partners come to this looking forward to it and feeling better connected by the end of it. So practicing the relationship meeting is really, really important to do. And again, I recommend that people do that and start off with a half hour. Don't talk about anything serious. Get a month in under your belt of four meetings where you just meet for a half hour. And if you've had a good 30 days getting through this relationship meeting, then you can start adding in that center part, which is the agenda item what what that tells me with you know i don't know who you're talking about and it doesn't matter you've had more than one boyfriend but whomever it was that the person associated serious conversations or your approach to serious conversations so i wasn't there i can't identify what you did that either contributed to his run response so that's the that's that's the uh flight response that he engaged in. You know, I might say in that moment, what can I do to make you feel more comfortable? And so much of that, Ashton, is going to be about your body language. The words that come out out of your mouth are just a fraction of how a conversation goes. It's all about looking open. So lean forward and like, it's all about having a casual body language. So you can see that I'm like a little hunched right now. My arms are open. They're not crossed in front of me. My legs are open. I'm trying to posture in a more casual way to communicate to his nervous system that I'm not out for blood. I'm not out for blood. And you can ask the person in that moment to try to bring them closer. What can I do to make you feel more comfortable or more safe because I love you. And at the end of this, I want us to be better, not not bitter. I don't want to divide. So right. there's, there's a variety of ways that you can go about coaxing the person back, but I'm willing to bet that he felt ambushed by you. And that sure. something may have been your very good posture. like you're, Like you're going to have a serious conversation. You're going to show up and you're like, you're a little student. But that can be scary. It can kind of look like a, a scary teacher.
1: I probably, you know, looking back, I have the exact incident in my mind. I, I'm i sure I started there. But when I started reading his body language, I was like, sit down. And I was I was good. I, I put my hand on his knee. I lowered my tone. I was literally That's like. That's important. And eventually, we got to a point where talking what was happening. And he wasn't, like, running for the door, catching the train out of here. But. Yeah, I I do think that I probably started off strong.
0: And and because you you knew it was an important conversation in your defense. I did. And when
1: I know something's important, my my way to handle it is like, let's talk about this now. So I'm not building resentment. I'm not spending all day like anxious and pent up because I don't need space. I'm ready to talk about most things when when they happen, because. Let's go. I've got my feelings. Let's grab your feelings and let's jive. Like
0: let's talk about this. But well, but no. even if the person's not avoidant, people can feel ambushed very easily. I'm yeah. not avoidant at all and I often feel ambushed. I've created so much security in my relationship. My wife is ready to talk all the fucking time. And I'm just like, "Can can we do this in the relationship meeting? Can we please do this? I want to hear this, but can we do it in the recurring meeting that we have every week?" You know, and that's hard for her now that now that she has come closer to me and has, you know, healed a lot of her stuff. She's ready to talk all the time. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. did you see my schedule today? Like, honestly, I can't. And and, and I try to leave steam in the tank of me at the end of the day. But if she wants to have a serious conversation, frankly, I often don't know what the topic is going to be or how deep it's going to go. And I usually want to wait until I'm rested and it's daylight. That is my preference. So it can feel a little bit like herding cats, Ashton, in the middle of that conversation where you're kind of coaxing the person closer to you. You can ask a question. So if you're asking questions instead of talking, you're going to, for the person to answer, they're going to have to come out of their amygdala and start going into their prefrontal cortex. If he can't do that, you're done. You just reschedule. Just reschedule. Better to sit with the, with the discomfort than to have stitches that need to be, sut- mm-hmm. like wounds that need to
1: be sutured up. That's a great point. That's a great point. Um, I think for anxious people like me, when I know there's conflict, and this is across the board for any relationship, I need to fix it, like now. Like I need it to be fixed. I need it to be dressed. Like me sitting with that Hanging over my head, it consumes me um, in any, literally any relationship. So that is super difficult for me.
0: So your stretch about, like, is your stretch is expanding your capacity to sit with discomfort. So that, and I've keeping your long term goal in mind. If you're in a relationship, yeah. your long term goal is to be tight with the person. You're going to be better. You're going to be more likely to come out of this with a win win situation. And that is the only way to come out of a disagreement. If you win and your partner loses, the relationship loses, and that sucks. You never want somebody to come away feeling like they lost. You want them Mm -hmm. to come out of a conversation with more insights into your thoughts and feelings and preferences and to have listened to your feelings and at the very least have validated your feelings. So when You are having that conversation and you're both de escalated and you both consented to the conversation. One person talks at a time. You don't interrupt each other. You don't interrupt each other because that's one of the quickest ways to escalate. You control the need to jump in or to correct, and you just listen. And then you paraphrase back to the person what you heard them say, and that's called mirroring. So every few sentences, you're saying, so what I hear you saying, Ashton, is that you have an, an, an anxious attachment style and you have a history of feeling abandoned when people walk away. And so the idea of sitting with distress for you feels incomprehensible and probably overwhelming. Is that right? <laughs> Bingo. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And and, and notice
1: how just hearing that, like, how did it feel for you to hear me just say that back to you? Yeah. I mean, it just shows me that you were listening to me because I I know that a lot of people listen to respond and not to comprehend. And I've been guilty of that. (laughs) Yes.
0: And the reason, so the reason the mirroring is so important for everyone listening is it slows everybody's nervous system down. You want less activation during serious conversations, not more. We want everyone and the person who's expressing themselves, they're used to being in conversations with people who are not fully plugged into what they're currently saying, but thinking about how they're going to respond. So Uh when you respond by mirroring, what you're telling that person is, oh, I don't have to rush through this. My person is going to be here for me. My person mm-hmm. is going to be anchored and hear for me and listening through to the entire process. And without even realizing it, their nervous system calms down, which will calm your system down. It works mm-hmm. the same way with escalation. As one person escalates, often the other person has a tendency to escalate as well. But we can co-regulate each other without being codependent. We can co-regulate each other by doing this mirroring thing until the person who's speaking has said all the things. And when they have nothing left to say, after you've mirrored back everything that they've said, well, when you're done mirroring, each time you finish mirroring, you're saying to the person, did I get that right? And the person's either acknowledging it. And if you got it wrong, you say, could you please rephrase that? person rephrases Mm -hmm. it, you mirror it back, you paraphrase it back to the person. And when they have nothing more to say, then you say, this is where you validate. You say to yourself, now I have to find something about what they said that makes sense to me. So Ashton, it makes a lot of sense to me that when you need to talk to me, you would like me to make time as quickly as possible so that you're not sitting with distress. It makes sense to me that you wouldn't want to have to manage distress because I'm guessing then you're not going to be really productive at work. You're not going to be able to have Mm -hmm. a great time. And then how the hell are we going to work together the way we do? So Mm -hmm. I can empathize with that. You weren't even asking me to do anything different. I'm going a step further by saying like, I'm always trying to offer an olive branch. So if I'm on the receiving end of that, I'm going to say, okay, Ashton, but for having nothing left in the tank, I'm going to make an effort to carve out time for you faster rather than later, moving forward. But that's not even necessary most of the time. Most people just need to hear that you're hearing what they're saying and that what they're saying makes sense to you. They want to know that they're being
1: listened to and that they're not crazy. Human beings. I actually, I think I wanted to add something that I've been there. I think there's so many times where I've been in a disagreement with somebody. And before I even gotten to my point yet, they'll be like, I understand. I understand. But I'm like, do you understand? So there's such a difference in saying, listen, I understand. I get it. Versus actually saying why you understand or why you understand why that person is feeling that way in this specific situation, because nothing drives exactly. me crazier you know and so i so let I, me tell you why I can, can i tell you why that drives you crazy sure please the
0: reason that drives you crazy ashton is because you feel muted when people say mm-hmm. oh i get it because you're not even a sentence into your feelings and they're right. trying to fix it and the reason they're trying to fix it is cuz it sucks to hear that someone we love or care about that we hurt them or that mm-hmm. we we made them feel something that's negative. It's really hard to sit and tolerate that. So if you know that you can fix it by offering to do something different, people's propensity is to jump right in and solve it. And that's not the way to do it because you wind up making the person feel muted. You want Mm -hmm. to let them express their feelings. And then at the end, let the fact that you're going to accommodate them or that the fact that you completely understand them, let that be the cherry on top of the sundae. Don't bypass
1: this dialogue exercise. It's imperative. Yeah. I'm like looking, I'm like thinking back to past fights that could have gone so differently. Um, if I had done the mirroring exercise, all the way throughout the fight versus just the first half, <laughs> if mm-hmm. you will. Um, but the, here's a question: So I know a lot of couples, people in general, who get into fights via text message or via phone call, FaceTime, whatever. Um, what do you have to say about the text fight? How, how can this process work via any mode besides in person? It can, and not through
0: text because our brains have not evolved. We know that there's a human being on the other side of the text or of the email, but there's a reason why we're so quick to fight on email mm. or on text. And it's because our brains have not evolved as rapidly as our, as we were in this huge information and in digital age, our brains haven't caught up to that. So even though cognitively we understand, of course, there's a person on the other end of it, our natural empathy and ability to put ourselves in someone else's shoes is hampered when we can't hear tone or mm-hmm. affect or see the person. We are much better at adjusting ourselves when we can hear the person's voice because it communicates so much more to us. Because actually. You know, I said a few minutes ago that the majority of what is communicated in a disagreement is not the words you use. Most of it is through body language, tone, and affect. So it is imperative. Like you said, when I notice that somebody is like getting squirrely while I'm expressing myself, I will then try and lower my voice. In addition to lowering your voice, try and use a melody to your tone. You can have, I mean, listen to my voice. Does it get any lower than this? I came out of the womb with this. I literally came out of the womb sounding like I smoked two packs of Marlboro Reds a day. This is how I came out as a child. Even if your voice is like mine, you can use so I'm I'm not being robotic. I'm using mm-hmm. a melody. I'm using different notes within the range, my very limited one octave range to Communicate that you're safe. I want you to imagine how do we address babies, kittens, and puppies?
1: Ooh.
0: Oh, in the most embarrassing way possible. Right. You know. I mean, we use, but there's a reason why, and it's universal. It doesn't matter what society, we've studied this all over the globe. People universally respond to babies and innocent little things in the same way. And that is because we have evolved to know how to nurture. And that is a nurturing tone. So no matter how deep your voice is, I teach guys how to do this. I'm like, you have to use affect. You have to use some melody in your tone. It doesn't matter if you have a a half of an octave range, you can still do it because I'm not talking like this. And this is the other thing that you need to know, that our brains have evolved to understand this very monotone robotic tone as danger. Okay? Yes, that is that yeah, is a it sounds tone. like the
1: subway platform people in the MTA. I'm like, oh, why are they coming
0: on? Well, if being a therapist doesn't work out, maybe that's a job for me. Yeah. So <laughs> our brains have evolved to understand a monotone, robotic, well-controlled voice. Now that's important to know as dangerous because when I was healing from being from having a lot of rage. The way I corrected for that was to sound very stoic. That did not land on my wife well. She still read danger in it. She still read mm-hmm. danger in it. The best I could do is not scream. So I'd be like, I need to express my feelings to you. And oh, like, my God. And it would put the fear of God in her. She was terrified by it. Didn't even know that she was terrified by it. And the reason is we understand now neurologically everybody, 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 responds to that in their nervous system as if they're about to get in trouble Mm -hmm. that is how that is how cops talk to us that is how the principal talks to us that is how teachers talk to us when our boss has to redirect us that is how they're going to talk to us it is just it's a scary tone so affect does so much melody does so much to lighten the mood and you just want to communicate that the person is safe
1: So, if we are having a text exchange that we see going into fighting territory, would you recommend that we then say, Hey, when are you free to meet up and talk about this later? Or can you fake? Can this be done via FaceTime? Like, I would recommend that we use text
0: basically to communicate facts and not feelings. Anything interpersonal, you have to try not to do it in text. You have to try not to do it in text. If you find that you've made the mistake or they've made the mistake, and 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 it happens, happens to me all the time. Once a month, which is not often for most people, happens to, I find myself in a situation like this once a month. And I'm like, how did I wind up? I led the way to here. I led the way. I'm the reason we're having an interpersonal conversation that could easily go wrong. And it's my fault. So People make the mistake of being very direct in moments like this, and I don't suggest it. I don't suggest saying, listen, I don't want this to escalate further. No, don't say that. Just be like, just say, this is the text version of the bathroom break. I want to hear more about this. I need to jump right now. Can we FaceTime in a couple hours? Can we talk on the phone in a couple hours? Can we meet up in a couple hours? Just stop the madness, stop the car and and stop the bleeding because Mm -hmm. it's very hard to resolve
1: things on text. Very hard. Yeah, yeah. there are a lot of girls who are literally like clenching their fists right now. And I think part of that is a separate topic in that, A lot of us don't feel empowered or um strong enough to have vulnerable conversations with people hence the avoidance i know personally it was easier for me to get all my feelings out via text because i could read it i could edit i could review it i'm like yes that was such a good one who really got it there. so do um, it do no and you don't want to get them but but here's what i want
0: you to do i want to teach you how to redirect that need i understand wanting to organize your thoughts and get them out in writing have right. that be a note for yourself for when you're together. And then you tell the person, I'm just going to look through my notes because I wanted to organize myself so that I didn't, so that I could make myself make sense so that I can make sure that you understand what it is I'm trying to communicate to you.
1: Yeah. No, this is so crucial for all the girls. I see this all over my TikTok page, Twitter, the keyboard warriors who have their notes. Their notes app is one of the most dangerous places that anyone could ever discover. But you why? You here. Because we pour the most unhinged, chaotic feelings and things we want to say there, and then we pull from there, and then we decide what to send, what not to send. But what I'm saying is, girls, because I will I would type out my drafts of what I wanted to send people in my notes app. Don't ever send it. Like just draft it so you can talk about it in person. And that was kind of there's a lot of people who need to hear this. (laughs) Yeah.
0: A pivotal moment in, in healing my rage was giving myself permission to express myself without hitting send. So I mm-hmm. don't even write the person's name in the subject because I've done that also. I've accidentally hit send on a draft oh. where I was just venting to myself. So. Oh. So rookie mistake. So don't even put the person's address in and, and write it in your notes app, not in something that you're likely to accidentally hit send to and yeah. just express yourself and get it out. And then when you get in front of the person, so there are some mistakes people make in, when they com- in how they communicate when they're in front of the person. There are rules to how to have a disagreement or how to express ourselves. You want to speak in I statements. You want to stay away from describing the other person. You don't want to say, You made me feel this, and you did that. And when you did this, because facts are debatable, but feelings are not, and any feeling is valid. So, what you want to do is you want to speak in I statements and speak from a subjective standpoint. Try to stay away from things that can be debatable. You can say, Darcy, when When I'm waiting for you to show up to the podcast recording, my mind starts perseverating over like all the things that I need to be able to be mindful of during this conversation with you. And by the time we get in, I feel so you haven't said a word about me yet. You haven't said a word about me. You're just talking Mm -hmm. about you and what a dynamic, which is subjective and okay to reference, does to you and how it makes you feel and then i have nothing to debate with you i have nothing Mm -hmm. to debate with you and and it's easy for me to just validate your feelings you can validate people's feelings and not agree with their perspective i do it all the time you validating somebody's feelings doesn't mean you
1: agree with how they got there that's important yes that is important that i forgot actually so validating is more just making the other person feel seen and heard for their feelings. It's not agreeing with the situation. It's more just like, I could see how you would yes. feel this way. Yes. Yes.
0: It's okay. It's imagining yourself in the other person's shoes. Empathy. And yes. And, and expressing empathy. You don't want to do things like, well, for starters, you never want to call names. You never want to curse at the person. You don't right? want to describe the person's character. Like like if it were you, like you're always late. You're never on time. At what point in your life are you going to learn how to be on an adult schedule? That's Ooh. the kind of stuff that cuts real deep. Yeah. And it's unnecessary. And I want you to know, and we all know it's unnecessary because everybody listening to this has de-escalated right now probably. So, I hope. Yeah. So so we know that when we're calm, we don't have a need to zing people. I don't want you zinging people. I want you trying to I want you to reach out, call in, not call out. I want you to bring someone closer to you and try and get them to understand why it is you feel the way you feel without assassinating their character. Because you don't want your partner walking away feeling like a piece of shit.
1: No, so if we need to assassinate their character for our own mental health, we need to do it in our notes app and that part does not leave the notes app.
0: That's fine, Because sometimes know, that feels like we need to compromise,
1: stuff. Right, like sometimes we just need to say things even if they're not true. Like I really just need to call you a dick. I really need to call you a dick, not you, obviously. So I'm going to write that down in some plates, and then I'm not going to ever bring it up.
0: That's what your friends are for. Tell your friends, that's what I'm Aww. for, for you. Tell tell (laughs) me what a dick the person is. I'm a safe space. I'm not going to be wounded by that. Okay. So you don't want to call names. You don't want to curse. You don't want to character assassinate. You want to catch yourself if you have a propensity to be defensive. And if you're on the receiving end of defensiveness, you want to try and do what I suggested early on, which is soften your body language, soften your affect, create some melody in your voice, try and ask the person, what can I do? I can see that I'm making you defensive. What can I do? That costs you nothing, by the way. To say and that you're making someone defensive does so much to de-escalate them, unless that makes them more defensive. And then I, that's I the can problem. It totally can, because I've done that before. Like, so then maybe you wait, can, can stop. So then maybe you can stop and not, so I would, one of the mistakes people make is describing the other person's behavior so don't do that. Mm. Let me just yeah, okay. show you that I just made a mistake. So instead of saying I can tell I'm making you defensive, you can say it seems like I'm making you uncomfortable right now. Do you want to tell me about it or tell me what I can do to make this easier because I don't want to be making you feel that way. That that okay. is such an easy thing to say and that softens things for people. It yeah. alerts it alerts them to the fact that they look like You know, defensiveness to me always looks a little belligerent. Sorry. That's that's how how I
1: read it. Belligerent as in like, oh, what like what do you mean? Like taking it back and like how dare you? Or belligerent, taking it back, self-righteous. Like it's it's like you've hit a
0: wall that the you there's no there's no reception to your words. You could just tell everything's boomeranging off the person and and, and landing back on you. And I would say to that. Don't waste your breath. Don't waste mm. your breath. In moments like that, if you can see that your partner is becoming defensive and they're not open to grounding themselves, you're not able to redirect it, hit pause, come back and try another time. Put it in your notes app. Put it in your notes app.
1: <laughs> Listen, I, I'm i a big journaler. So like this makes a lot of sense. And I've always felt better after journaling about something and then talking about it. So this all makes complete, complete sense in a lot of ways. If for
0: no other reason, if for no other reason than to be better, more articulate Mm -hmm. and want to be able to express yourself in a way that does not underscore that you're walking on eggshells, but rather creates the safety that's necessary for a resolution. Right.
1: And it would be great to also leave a quote unquote fight and not have regrets. Um, I feel like a lot of people are not always able to say that um, because they're coming from an escalated place when they're having these conversations. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, lots to take away here.
0: (laughs) The last thing I'll say is this. You don't want to crowdsource when you're having a disagreement. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is I was telling my friends about how you behaved and they all agree. That's that's overwhelming to people. It's, it makes it so much more difficult to receive the words because now the person is aware of feeling betrayed by other people in their life or in your life. It just complicates shit. Speak, and people often do this because they don't feel empowered or they worry that their perception or opinion is not going to be valid enough. It is mm-hmm. valid enough. True.
1: Very true. True. Oh so I hope that everyone has now learned how to artfully have a fight with whoever in their life because I guess disagreement we, uh, sorry disagreement uh, but sometimes you really just do have a fight and but hopefully people can now halt a, a disagreement in the tracks before it becomes a full blown a full blown fight and the next time I see a girl screaming at her boyfriend on the side of the road yeah, um, on Friday or Saturday night, I'm just going to be like, oh, put it in your notes app and step away. But yeah, we can't you can
0: airdrop an ep- airdrop this episode to oh. them when that happens. You can do them a solid by doing that. I'll also That's say so this, smart. the And I think that this is important to say on the tail of an episode two episodes ago where I talked about my terrible therapy experiences. I've had so few good nuggets from therapists that I can remember them all. And one of the best gems I ever got was from a couples therapist that Steph and I saw. And as we were logging off of Zoom, she said to us, now don't fuss, girls. And I looked at her and was like, <laughs> I'm from what the Northeast. I'm from the Northeast. Does fuss mean fight? And she, of course, was like, yes, it does mean fight. And I was like, do you literally mean don't fight? She was like, what part of that is confusing you? And I was like, all of it. Because I come from a family. I come from a family, the other side of the family, not our side of the family. My other side of the family prided prided themselves on having open dialogue, which is to say something upset you. You delivered that information. Didn't matter how you did it. Didn't matter how much... Uh, gore was involved. As long as you were authentic and speaking your truth, everything was permissible to say timing didn't matter, how you did it didn't matter. And I thought fighting was the sign of closeness. And that was the moment that I learned that fighting is not good. And that Wow. Was within this relationship that I'm in right now. And it's not been that long. And that is a sin. I should have been taught that day one in school. And also, my individual therapist should have pointed that out to me. I needed that information. I needed someone to tell me that. So fighting is unnecessary. Disagreements are unavoidable. And the way we do it is everything. And that's what I'll it say.
1: Comes down. Communication is key. Communication uh, is yeah. everything in life. You can say anything everything. if you know how to do it. Ah, I love that. And on that note, you want to read us out? Yep. We need to talk with Dr. Darcy is a Sterling Standard production. Our editors are Stephanie Sterling and Barb Miguel. Special thanks to Amanda Cristiani and Vicki Regalina. Our theme music is by Trending Music. If you like today's show please follow us by searching We Need to Talk with Dr. Darcy Sterling. Because apparently, we picked a name about five other podcasts used. So remember, we need to talk with who? Dr. Darcy Sterling. If you love today's show, please give us a rating. We'll be back on Tuesday with another episode packed with relationships and dating hacks you won't get anywhere else. Thank you, Ashton. Thank you.